Okay, good to be sharing God's word with you again. I'm going to get you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll look at verses 6 and 7 this morning, which is the same passage that uh, Brother Ron read for us this morning. But um, yeah, we'll just look at these first two verses. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's... Uh, Commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word and we just thank you that we can trust it fully with our lives. We thank you that it is the milk that sustains us, the meat that helps us to grow. And we just pray that your spirit would teach us today your precepts, your laws, your will for our lives. We just thank you once again that we have this precious time before you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When God was about to... Um, uh, rescue his people Israel from the Egyptians and he called Moses to the burning bush and he said I've got a job for you to do Moses I'm going to send you to my people and you've got a, you've got the job of rescuing them you're going to be my right hand I'm going to give you special abilities and I'm going to get you to go because I want to save my people I've heard their cry and when Moses thought for a moment he said but Lord um, if they if I go to them and they ask well who is it that sent you sent me who is it that sent me? Who am I supposed to say? What name do I give them? And God's answer to that was, tell them I am that I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. And that's basically what God's name actually means. That he is the, ex the self-existent one. He always has existed. He always will exist. He exists. Everything else in creation, everything else, you, me, had a beginning. Okay? Every one of us had a start somewhere. All the angels did, all the creation did. And none of us actually lives on our own. We cannot survive without him. But he doesn't need anyone else to exist. He existed before everything. He existed purely uh, in himself by his own will and he was fully satisfied with himself as well he didn't need us when he created us he didn't need us at he didn't create us out of need he created us out of love his name jehovah or you might pronounce it yahweh means this very thing he is the unchanging one the great i am one who always was the one who is and the one who will always be. And he's also known by many other titles in the Bible, including Elohim, which is another word for God, Adonai, Lord, Al Elyon, Al Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi. He is called the Rock, the Redeemer, the Lily of the Valley, the Rose of Sharon, the fairest of 10,000. He is the Holy One of Israel, the Lord of hosts, the Ancient of Days, and so on and so on. The Bible is filled with titles for God. 
And the passage that Brother Rowan read for us this morning, the one I've just read for us now, contains one of the most remarkable prophecies in Scripture. It prophesies a child that would be born some 700 years before he came into the world who would be none other than this self-existent one, the great I Am. And this verse is irrefutably genuine. It is overwhelmingly transparent and it's shocking when you think of it and you contemplate what it actually means. That this self-existent one, this one who is beyond our ability to comprehend, the one who contains all the creation in the palm of his hand, became a child and was born into this world. One day he would be born through a particular line of people And that this child would be the same one who created all things. And we find that this child, when he's mentioned in the Bible, and we're going to see this passage and a number of other passages, has the same titles that God has in the Old Testament. Now, during this time of the year, the world, the whole world is reminded that the eternal Son of God was born into this world as a baby. Through a woman. And he was, he was born to fulfill a promise that God made to rescue us from our sin. He will be born, we don't know the exact date, but as the world celebrates this thing called Christmas, which contains his title. There's a lot of things going on at the moment. People are going on holidays, there's a lot of gift giving, there's a lot of organising, there's a lot of cooking going on, that's for sure. I know it's happening around my place. But yet most of the world doesn't know him. This time of the year, most of the world is so busy giving each other presents without knowing why they're giving each other presents. Thinking of how wonderful it would be to get together with family, with the people that you love without actually realising and inviting the one who loves them the most into their family. And while they rejoice with each other, and they celebrate what they have in this world, they've shut out the very one after whom this day is actually named. And in a sense, this day, or tomorrow, as, as the world celebrates it, becomes a testimony against them. Because while they celebrate this day, they refuse him at the same time. They, they do not celebrate the one after whom it's named. That's why our, our witness in this world must be bold. It must be true. It must be consistent, not just today, not just tomorrow, when we're with our families, but every day of our lives. Because the time is short. The days are evil. And the light needs to be shone or shined. I'm not sure which, which is the word consistently in this world because the world is drifting further and further away and further and further into darkness. Now let's look at this, this passage. I mean, what makes the Bible so unique among all the religious writings of the world is that it speaks of things that only God could know. It verif it's verified over and over and over again. It speaks of things that, that are prophesied hundreds of years into the future. Actually, one, about one-third, it's been estimated, of the Bible is in fact prophecy. And much of that, almost, or most of that, the overwhelming, is about 
Jesus is about the Saviour who would be born into this world to save mankind from sin. Let's let look at some of those. Turn with me to Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. I'm going to go through a fair bit of scripture today, so keep your Bibles handy. So Micah 5.2 tells us where he would be born. Okay, It prophesied many years before, at least four or five hundred years before, that he'd be born in a place called Bethlehem. So Micah 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee... Shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel? Now this is the, the, the crunch line. This is, this is the, the, the part where we, are, we find out more of his identity. Because not only would he be the ruler of Israel, but it says, whose goings forth have been from old. And what did your Bible say? From everlasting. You see, out of this little town of Bethlehem would come the ruler of Israel not just as a king, such as king, like King David or, or Solomon, but it says who's going forth, who's, who's, he's, been, he's been active, he's been on the move, he's been, he's been around from eternity past. Not even the angels are everlasting, but he is. This could only be one, one person, and that's God. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, most of you are very familiar with this particular prophecy. Because there are two important things in this particular verse. And it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive... And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what would be the means of his birth? Is it a, a normal birth? <laughs> Not a normal birth. It's a miraculous birth. The only child in all of history that would be born of a virgin. And we know that her name is Mary. She had the privilege of bearing him and carrying him for those nine months. But not only that, not only he would be born in miraculous circumstances, but it says that his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now, what does Emmanuel actually mean? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, because Matthew then explains it for us. So Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Now it's quoting that particular verse that we've just read. And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is... God with us. 
God with us. Yes, his name would be Jesus, and, he, that, and that is a name that is above every name. But the name Emmanuel literally means God is with us. And was he with us? Yes, he was. Literally walking the same streets that we walked, wearing shoes, wearing clothes, eating food, feeling pain. This was not a normal birth. This was a miraculous birth. And this was not a normal baby either. This was God in the flesh. Mary was a bit confused at the pronouncement of the angel. And so the angel, look at, look at Luke chapter 1 verse 34 with me. Oh, we're going to have a lot of scripture verse reading today. Luke chapter 1 verse 34. Because she couldn't understand how she, without knowing a man, would be able to give birth to a child. And so she asked the obvious question to Gabriel and it says in Luke 1.34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I love the way it says here, the way the, the, the King James um, interpreters wrote, and that holy thing which shall be born, that holy thing. This is not like a, a normal person here. It doesn't say it's a normal baby. This thing was going to be born of you, which we don't have a description of really, okay? is going to be called the Son of God. And, and in this particular verse, have you noticed the Trinity? Did you, did you pick that up? This is, a, this is not only a, a, a direct reference to the Trinity in this one verse, um, in this monumental event. And we find the Trinity repeated a number of times. And the, uh, remember when Jesus started his ministry? Right? We said we have the voice of the Father, the Holy Spirit coming down, and then he in the water getting baptized, and you have the Trinity all together. Well, here, the, the same thing. At his birth, at his, sorry, his conception... This thing, it says here, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon thee, on you, Mary. The power of the highest is going to overshadow you. And then the thing that's going to be born in you, or born from you, is going to be the Son of God. So we have the Trinity in this one passage. If anyone ever tells you that the Bible does not teach the Trinity, because the word Trinity is not written in there, um, please don't listen to them. Because it is repeated over and over and over and over again in many, many different ways. And this is just one of them. Okay, And so this event that the world sort of celebrates but doesn't at the same time is such an auspicious occasion. It's so monumental. Okay, in its in its depth, in what's happened, okay, in the history of mankind. That the angels decided to visit the earth. Maybe they were sent by God to visit the earth and make this proclamation about what was happening. And they pronounced it to shepherds who were in a field. Okay? Who then later went to check out what was going on. But I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Because this is the, the description of what happened on that day or that night. 
when he was about to be born and what it says about him again. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What a, what a, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Like it would have been a, a spectacular thing to see, but... How does it say the, the shepherds reacted here? It says they were sore afraid. Um, I say that a few knees would have been shaking at the sight of angels actually coming down and making an announcement and then seeing all of a sudden a whole lot of them praising God. But nevertheless, when the fear left them, they were left obviously with this event with this this memory with this experience that they would have never forgotten for the rest of their lives and they went and saw the child lying in the manger but what's interesting in this particular passage it says and declares that this child that was going to be born in verse 11 would be the savior and Christ the Lord. Okay, so he would be both Saviour and Lord. Now, did God ever give himself those titles of Saviour and Lord? Yes, he does. Go to Isaiah chapter 43 with me. Isaiah chapter 43. <coughs> Now listen carefully to how, how clear God is here. And he says in verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 43, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. Now there's no mistaking, this is Jehovah speaking. And my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Saviour. Yet, when this child is to be born in Bethlehem, who would be the ruler who would sit on King David's throne, it calls him the Saviour. It calls him the Lord. Does God make mistakes like that? No, he doesn't. Because there is only one Saviour. There is only one Lord. And who was speaking in Isaiah chapter 43? It was the Son of God. The Word of God who was speaking these words. And the Bible not only tells us about um, his birth and, the, and the, the means of his birth, it also declares what the times of his birth 
would be like, that it would be a time of darkness, that it'd be a time of darkness and the place um, there would be, the people would, uh, would be living without God, not understanding God. Turn to us back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 with me. As we look at the beginning of that passage that Brother Rowan read for us this morning, just to, to gain a, a bit of a foundation for why I've read or I've chosen Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And it speaks about a place called Galilee, okay? That in this particular place, there'd be darkness. So Isaiah 9.1 says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now, okay, so he's saying here, it would be a time of darkness for Israel. The Lord had reminded Israel about what had happened under the hand of the Assyrians who had taken captive the northern tribes of Israel. Okay? Remember, Israel had been split up into two. They had a fight. They broke up into north and south. And the northern ten tribes were taken captive by the Assyrians from the land of Galilee and Zebulun and Naphtali. And so... He's predicting sometime in the future, it won't be as bad as that particular time, but it's going to be a time of great darkness. And 700 years later, it would be a similar time when the land would be under oppression and this time it would be under the rule of the Romans. And the people, though living in their own land, would be living in absolute darkness because not only were they ignorant of God's Salvation. Not only were they ignorant of, of God's word and how they were to live, but their own wicked rulers and priests were not teaching them the truth. And we know that to be true because Jesus had a number of runnings with them. And they're called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they sat in a particular council in Jerusalem and they were quite wicked people. And the, the, the land of Galilee is referred here as a Galilee of the nations. Now, if you know the, the, the geography of Israel, you'll know that the, the, the south part of Israel, where Jerusalem is, okay, is called Judea. Okay? That whole area is called Judea, and it contains Bethlehem and, and a number of other towns. And so it includes Bethany, Hebron and the surrounding area. So you've got the south sort of part of Israel, which is Jerusalem-centred, and that's where all the, the priests were, that's where all the sacrifices were made, that's where all the, um, the, the Sanhedrin was. A lot of the, the political stuff went on over there. Okay? And then above that area immediately was called Samaria. Okay? Now, most of you know what the Jews felt about the Samaritans. They didn't like them very much at all. You see, the Samaritans were worshipping in a different place. Okay? The Samaritans had, um, and they were seen as half-caste by the Jews, and they were seen as dogs and everything else, had formed their own type of religion, a bit of a corruption of, of, uh, of uh, the Bible. They'd corrupted it as well. And they worshipped on Mount Gerizim, I think it's called or pronounced, okay? instead of Jerusalem. 
So there you have Judea, then you have Samaria, not liked by the Jews, but above Samaria, you have Galilee, above it. Okay, more north again. Galilee was like a bit like, um, and it included uh, towns like Chorazin, Capernaum, Cana, Nazareth. Galilee was seen as a complete backwater. Okay, it was the it was like the the what's the what's the the rednecks, okay, of the Jews. The Bogans lived up there, right, with their Monaros and their Commodores and whatever else they were driving. It was a backwater place. There wasn't much, there wasn't much uh, education going on over there because all the really good education was happening in Judea. And so it was not seen as anything to be really uh, uh, worried about, but it was seen as a, back, a, a really backward sort of place. This is where Jesus grew up, in that area, in the middle of that. Okay? And when he began to call his disciples, there's a particular, there's a particular uh, passage He's called Philip. Philip is convinced that he's the Messiah. Who does Philip go and call? Nathaniel. Nathaniel, you've got to come. You've got to come and see this guy. He's the one. I'm, I'm certain of it. And so turn to John chapter 1, verse 41 with me. John chapter 1, verse 41, because I want you to, I want you to see what they thought of Galilee and where Jesus grew up. And say so that Nazareth is in Galilee. John chapter 1 verse 45 says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. And he did. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is in Judea. But he didn't stay. He didn't stay in Judea. He didn't. He didn't grow up in Judea. You see, he had to. He had, he had to be born in Bethlehem because there was a census going on at the time, and he and they had to travel down to Bethlehem to where David's original ancestral place was to get taxed to get actually get a census done on them. Okay, that's why they ended up trying to find a hotel to stay in. Couldn't find one. Um, obviously, Airbnb wasn't working that night. But they ended up. He ended up being born in a stable. And, and, and there's no place. Obviously, there was there was such a, a, a shortage of places to stay that he actually was born and wrapped up and, and put in a, a an eating trough for an animal. That's what a, a manger is. In Italian, it's mangiare. Okay, you know that word, don't you? But then later, he grew up in Nazareth. His childhood was in Nazareth. He worked with his father in his, um, his woodworking shop in Nazareth. Grew up as a carpenter in Nazareth. But it's Nazareth that was dark. It was Galilee that was not aware of what was going on. Very ignorant of the word of God. Not aware of God's love. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. 
Where's it talking about? There. Okay. Why is it talking about a light being shined in, in Galilee? It's because Jesus grew up there. Jesus is the light of the world. In John 8, 12, it says, And Jesus again said unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world because he came into the world and he is light. And what he was claiming was something that God is. You see, John writes in 1 John 1, 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You know something interesting? Turn to, turn to Revelation 21 verse 23 with me. Revelation 21 23. Do you know that, that new Jerusalem will come down from heaven one day and it's going to be a spectacular city? Okay, that God has built, that Jesus built. And it's going to come down from heaven to the earth. And it's just something very interesting about it. And it says this particular city in Revelation 21, 23, it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Literally, the light. His glory lights the whole city. Jesus is the light of the world. And then we have that he would be the incarnation of God himself. So turn back to Isaiah 9.6 with me. Isaiah 9.6. Yeah, I'm getting you to do a whole lot of... Uh, your hands should be nice and tired by the end of today, but you should loosen up. You can shake, shake, shake a little bit and then uh, you can keep on going. So it says in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it says, so it says, as we repeat, as for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So this child will be born in Bethlehem or the child to be born in Bethlehem 2,000 years, roughly 2,000 years ago. Now he's a son, right? He was a child who was a male child and he was, it says... That he was given. Unto us, a son is given. Isn't that an interesting phrase, the way it says it? You know, when you have a child, do you give your child to someone else? No, you don't. But in this particular passage, it says that unto us, a son is given. He's given to us. And the Bible tells us that he did. Because the Bible also tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, he was given to us. Not only that, it says that he will be the ruler, not just of Israel, 
but of the entire world. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to, he's going to bear the responsibility to rule at one particular time. And he arrived the first time as the rightful king. And that's why he preached the kingdom of God, because it was his kingdom. And when he was tried in front of Pilate, there was an exchange that took place, which he made very clear about who he was. John chapter 18, verse 36. Turn with me there. John chapter 8, verse 36. John 18, 36. Did I say 8? There you go, just trying to keep in your toes. John 18, 36. So in this exchange, it says in verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest, uh, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that, he, that is of the truth heareth my voice. For this cause he came into the world because he is the king. He presented himself as the king and as the Messiah. The prophecies about him were that he was going to rule. Okay, And he did present himself. And then it says that this king is wonderful. Notice it says there, he shall be called wonderful. You know what? If Jesus is not wonderful to you, I wonder what is. Is there anything in all of history, in all of creation that is wonderful when we compare it to him? There is no comparison with any person in history, with any hobby you might have, with any interest that you take in anything that you would call wonderful. There is nothing in this universe that is as wonderful as him. Do you need an interest? Do you need something to keep you constantly amazed then keep your eyes on Jesus he is constantly amazing the more you find out about him the more you will be amazed and the more you have of him the more you want of him look no further than Jesus if you want something wonderful in your life and it says that he would be born a king who would sit on the throne of his father David and he would establish it, and he's going to rule with justice. Is that happening yet? No. We're still waiting for that day. And then it says that he would be a counsellor. A counsellor. It's good to be a counsellor. It's good to have counsellors. People who can encourage you and, and, and direct you and actually give you advice on how to improve, on how to, on how to live your life. But not only that, Jesus says it's, it's a similar concept to one who comforts, okay? It's someone who, who you, you can pull, aside, uh, pull alongside of you and to encourage you and give you some good advice. But look at John 14, 15 with me. 
John chapter 14, verse 15. It says that if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now look, they drop down to verse 26. It says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Did you notice something interesting there? Did you notice that Jesus didn't say God's going to send you a comforter? He says he's going to send you another comforter, another counsellor, like him. And where does he come from? The Father. Okay. Um, did the Son come of his own, just of his own volition? No, he was sent by the Father. And when he prays to the Father, God sends then another comforter, like him. The difference is that Jesus became, the Son of God became a man, okay, and died for the sins of the world. The Holy Ghost is not locked into a body necessarily and is able to live within each of our hearts. And he too was sent. Here we have also another picture of the Trinity. Did you notice that? God sent his Son and he sends the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some Jehovah's Witnesses might argue the point and say that the Holy Spirit is like a start of the force in Star Wars, but it's not. It's a he. And just like Jesus was sent, the Holy Spirit is sent. And it says that he is going to be called the mighty God. Only God is mighty. And God gives himself the title of mighty God a number of times in the Old Testament. It also says that he is the everlasting Father. And Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father in this world. And as such, he has the heart of his Father. You know, there's a particular passage, I'll just read it for you, you don't have to turn with me there, where he's, he looks at Jerusalem as he's, as he's entering the city. And he says these words in Matthew 23, 37. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. That's the heart of a father who has watched his children go astray and into destruction. And he's saying, how long have I sent you prophets to warn you, to draw you back to me, but you don't want me. And now your house is left unto you desolate. And that's why he could say to his disciples in John 14, 7, he says, If you had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him, because he is the same substance as the father, the same heart as the father. They are in perfect unison together. And then he is the Prince of Peace. He is the peace of this world. There is no peace without having peace with God. You can try and, and uh, om your way to, through meditation and find peace that way. 
You can try and, and, and go through all different types of counseling in this world and follow every type of activity that, that, that they're promising you peace with, but there is no peace without peace with God. And the only one who can offer us peace with God is him, because he is God. And so Jesus took that name, the I Am, the same name that God gave himself to Moses when he said, before Abraham was, I am. And he also said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way the truth and the life. I am the vine. Now I'll get you to turn to John chapter 8 with me. John chapter 8 verse 23. Listen to these words carefully. This is the one who was born in Bethlehem and who grew up as a man, as a carpenter. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I've been telling you this from the very beginning. The same thing. If you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If a person today professes to believe in Jesus and believes he is a prophet, or believes he is an angel, or believes he is just a man, cannot be saved cannot be saved if you do not believe that he is from above and that he is the everlasting one the person says that jesus says himself that they will die in their sins because when you deny the son you deny the father also did any man ever speak such words like this I mean, think, can you think of any religious leader or, or historical person that made such claims about himself? I want you to think that when he says that I am the, the everlasting one, I am the creator of all things, I am from above. There's no other one. If Jesus was a regular person making such claims without evidence, they would have put him in a straitjacket, thrown him into a, a padded cell and left him there. Seriously, if, some, if someone goes around today making claims like this, they're going to lock them up. So what's the difference? The difference is that we have a Bible filled with prophecies about him and they all culminate with him. They're all fulfilled in him. No one else. No one else fits this particular bill. On top of that, we see the manner in which he lived, which is different to every other religious leader in the world. You know, while they're crucifying, he's saying, 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He lived with absolute compassion for everyone. There is no other man who lived like him. We then see the miracles that he performed. He's able to, to calm storms and calm seas. He's able to walk on water, raise people from the dead, cure people who were blind from birth, who were lame from birth. He rose people from the dead. Has anyone else been able to do those things? No. He is the one who controls nature. Even the devils had to obey him. And then we see his remarkable teachings. There is no other teachings like this in the world. A teaching that says, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. His teachings are extraordinary. And then we see the, the testimony of people who knew him, who lived with him, who walked with him, who saw those things. And we have those testimonies written in the pages of what we call the Bible today. Reliable testimonies of people who gave their lives for what they saw and what they believed. And then we see the living testimony of millions of people testifying across all of the ages who have been changed by him, who were never the same when he came into their life. There is no other person like him. And so Isaiah 53, 1 says, who hath believed our report? And to whom, of the arm, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that, we sh that when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You know, at the first time... The Son of God came into the world, born. There was no room for him. No room. There was no room in Jerusalem for him. There was no room in Bethlehem for him. He was rejected and despised of men. And ultimately they put him on a cross to keep him silent. But that life he gave on the cross has saved us from our sin. And ever since then, the world has had a choice. What do I do with him? What do I do with this Jesus? Can I ignore him? How can you ignore him? There is no one else like him. His, his very life demands that you take the time to examine it and make up your mind about him. What do I do with Jesus? Every single person in the world is faced with that particular choice and it is that choice which will determine their destiny. And he still speaks today. And he speaks through his word. And that word says and calls out from its pages saying, I am. 
here. I am your saviour. I am the Lord. And if you put your faith in me to save you, I will save you. And that's why the Bible tells us in Philippians 2.9, I'll get you to turn with me, I'll just close this passage. Philippians 2.9, that's why his name is exalted above every name. Okay? Out of all the names that we have in this world, out of all the titles that God has, this name is exalted above all of them. And it says in Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So while the world celebrates the birth of Jesus, please let's be reminded of where we, what we are called to do, of how we are called to live, of what light we are called to shine, because they're still not ready. 2,000 years have gone by. Is Jerusalem ready? Is Israel ready? Is the world ready for his return? They're not. And the time is getting shorter. Listen to these words. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Put your trust in him today. There is no one else who can save you. God bless you. Thank you. Let's close in a word of prayer. And then we'll have a special item with the children. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we just do thank you for this precious time. We've been able to look into your word. And I do pray that it has touched our hearts and we have learned from it. I pray that we would be drawn closer to you today. That we would recognize more of our Savior. That we would want to be more like him that we would bow the knee to him, not just today, but every day of our lives, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that he was willing to come to this earth to rescue sinners such as us. We thank you that he was faithful all the way to the end. And he finished what you set before him, Heavenly Father. We pray that our lives would honour him in every way, that our eyes would be fixed upon him, and that we would live lives that glorify you. I pray that we would indeed shine as lights in the darkness in this world, that we would be consistent with our witness and testimony, that we would speak the truth in love, and that the gospel would be normal speech from our lips. So bless us as we enter into this time of festive, uh, this festive time, Lord. Help us to be a blessing to our families and friends. And I pray that if there's any here who doesn't know you today, Jesus, that today would be the day when they open the door and ask you to come in. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.